We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Here's your host, John Helton. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. John McKechnie joined by Mario Puig here on Wednesday, April 4th. Mario, how you doing? I'm pretty good. It's uh, it's April now. We had our last episode the day before the Lamar Jackson Pro Day, so we kind of missed our chance to scream and you know melt down over that. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah, unfortunate timing there. But uh, otherwise, there hasn't been like a ton of crazy stuff that happened in the NFL uh, this past week. But I guess the the main thing of interest that we can dive into we'll we'll circle back to the to the lamar jackson pro day in due time but um so tuesday afternoon rolls around and brandon cooks gets traded to the rams so the rams i I imagine this has to be their last big move of the offseason right you would think so i guess now they have to worry about maybe extending some of the contracts of these guys that they've added because it looks like by next year basically the whole team is a free agent Mm -hmm. uh, aside from jared goff who's like the least important part of it so it's it's a lot to worry about but in the meantime though good god like they're i've i know that people are going to probably draw parallels to the that one eagles team whatever year that was where they got a someone and uh some other players young was their backup yeah that was that was the really put them over the top it's like they got the best backup now also they got jason babin Jason Babin, yeah, man, I forgot about all the you know reasons why that team was supposed to be so good, <laughs> but I think this is a little different, and it's it's kind of arbitrary leap of faith reasoning that I'm giving here. But as much as I think Andy Reid was probably one of the better coaches of the 2000s, 
like Sean McVay appears to be something different. Uh, Andy Reid, you know, he's, he's a really good coach, but he doesn't have the, um, it's like, he's, he's just smart at football. Like he's not smart at math or things like that. Whereas McVay seems to put the whole picture together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just doesn't really miss many things and has the ability to stay ahead of a curve. Whereas Reed's kind of the guy who catches up to it when he learns little lessons at a time. So giving McVay and Wade Phillips, Sue Talib, uh, Marcus, Marcus Peters. Peters, it's going to be something because it's like they're, we know what they do on offense is they go up tempo. They put up points quick they they try to hit you in aggressively a lot of ways. Then they slow it down a bit. And, you know, now that you're going to be falling behind early to them, you're going to have to deal with an entire game of relentless blitzing. Yeah. And uh, in like addition. Sue just pinning his ears, but him and Donald both. Yeah. And it's, uh, they could probably get a little better even on the edge, which is scary. And they, cause they don't really need it. Like when you can collapse a pocket, like Sue and Donald definitely will, you don't really need great edge rushers, but uh, I think they're going to be adding a little bit more to that defense even before the year starts. And yeah, if, with with Cooks there on the offense, it's like I, there's no concern with the offense at this point. There was the one concern w- with with Watkins gone. Is there going to be the person who can threaten the safeties, make them lean back a little bit, clear space for Woods and Cup underneath? Mm-hmm. Cooks is not Watkins in my opinion. Like I don't think he's as talented, but I think he's very, very talented. Like Watkins is a top five sort of talent to me at receiver. Cooks is a top ten. Right. So uh people people are kind of writing him off a bit as like limited. I don't really believe it. Like he might not be great over an intermediate part of the field or something like that, but for how good he's been, even going back to Oregon State at such young ages, uh, to have also the four three three speed, the killer combine generally. Guys like him are going to keep improving until they're like 28 or something so like what, that. What what are these supposed limitations to Cooks' game? Well, so it's – he's he's not like a true number one in the sense that we want our true number one to be a guy who is basically just uncoverable. Yeah, and just looks like Randy Moss. And not, not only a 100-catch candidate but also a you know 1,400-yard candidate and a – 12 plus touchdown candidate cooks might be a guy who even if he is a definite top five receiver in the nfl at his peak he might at that peak only be like an eight touchdown kind of receiver but he also might give you 1600 yards Mm -hmm. and uh also he's they they haven't really used him like this lately but he's really good runner Uh, at oregon state he did a lot of jet sweep stuff so there's ways he can he can take his game to another another level and i think he will I mean, the weird thing about him is how productive he's been and how young he is. And then when you look at that and you you see these people who are basically like, he's kind of a disappointment. We expected more. And it's like, how could you expect more? He's, yeah. he's so young. He's been so successful already. Uh, you can't let unreasonably high early success be the basis for expecting even more success later when you had no grounds for projecting into the first place. So he's got, you know... Uh, he fell just short of his third straight 1,100-yard year before turning 24. So I think he's going to be totally good fit there. Uh, I don't think he's going to be that productive in fantasy relative to like what we might hope. Like I think he's going to be kind of like a, I don't know, like 1,000. But I guess a similar season to last year. Yeah, so perhaps. what we saw from him last year, and I, I want to see how you dissect these numbers and whatnot. Okay, so he, he had 21% of the target share in New England. Uh, 114 targets overall at raw volume, 65 catches, 1,082 yards, seven touchdowns. Watkins by comparison, and again, like it's not like he's 
only going to be the Sammy Watkins role. And there were a lot of contextual things about the Sammy Watkins thing with him getting traded, like what, like two, three weeks before the season started. Right. Cooks gets a lot more time to get built in. Exactly. So Watkins saw 70 targets, uh, 39 catches for 593 and eight touchdowns. And his target share was 12.8%. So you think like, man that is so low that is so ridiculously it's, it's, low it is insane like, no I, had to expl- look, I had to look back over that to make sure that, that was the actual 12 same okay. walk 12 percent target share that's um, great um so, so he's think, like there's he's like their sixth receiver in that offense or something unbelievable so i think it's it's fair to suggest maybe cooks gets like 18 ish percent target share so what i'll say about cooks as far as like what might be better for him with the rams than than Watkins was is that he basically can fit more easily into the slot and i think like cooks you would kind of look at and presume for a slot guy these days just because he's not big um, but then you see the four three three speed and you're like oh okay well he can play outside then like even though he's not tall or you know, heavy enough to box out on the sideline on a downfield pass with four three three speed, you can just get open. Right. So, uh, and he does that, and I think he'll keep doing it. And the problem, though, is that so as much as he might kind of project for a similar function in this offense as he did in New England, and how that might be grounds to think that he'll basically repeat himself this year. The one thing is, at least Tom Brady would throw to him deep. Goff won't be doing that unless he's like so ridiculously open, like flea flicker, botched coverage, kind of wide open, because Goff just doesn't have the arm. He's not looking to throw downfield like that. It's not It's not in his nature. With Brady, he's always looking downfield at the least. And mm-hmm. with no Edelman there, with Gronk kind of uh, on and off all year, Cooks was getting those double teams that he's, you know, maybe not able to beat like as good as he is as much as he might be a top five receiver in the nfl at some near point he still probably isn't the guy that kills you for double teaming him Uh, i think that was something that was happening in new england it's going to keep happening with the rams but at least i think he'll get probably a few more looks in the slot than Watkins did like Watkins, i think could be a really good slot receiver but he's so uniquely good on the outside that teams just don't even consider it it'd be like uh I don't know. I should have thought about an analogy before, but it's, it's uh, trust me, it would have been great. And you don't <laughs> use guys like Watkins for lesser tasks. You put them in the more scarce role, which is like on the outside, taking the double team and beating it, which Watkins I think can do. Definitely. Um, but yeah, so it's basically the targets I think will be, they have to go up like for the whole off season of practice, like you said. And in addition to that, I think more of those targets are going to be in the part of the field that golf can throw to. Okay. I think that's fair. And then I think there's also, uh, you know, less, less in X's and O's and more financial, um, thing attached to this, where the Rams are going to try to, you know, this isn't uh, a one year rental as far as Brandon cooks goes, they're going to try to get a deal done mm-hmm. uh, with him. So they're going to be paying him Good in move. a way that they weren't uh, paying Sammy Watkins. So I think that they're going to be more inclined also to, to really get the most out of this investment. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's definitely a good point. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think last year's numbers are a pretty good projection for cooks, like a thousand eighty yards and seven touchdowns. He could do more, especially if we hear reports about him basically getting some of the looks that used to go to Cooper Cup. Because mm-hmm. if you put Cooks in the slot, I bet he would be in this, especially in this offense, he would be murderously good. That would open up the concern of like, well, who stretches the field then? But 
Um, I don't know. Maybe they add someone in the draft, and if not, it's it's still going to be mostly outside that we see Cooks. Like if he's playing in the slot, it's uh, might be more like four wide things or, or situations where he kind of gets motioned into it. What if like James Washington fell to them in the second round? I think he will. Um, do they have a second round pick? No, Ooh, I can't, if I'm wrong, then I, I can't remember. There, there's been a there's yeah. I had the. I actually was kind of mad about this trade because I had just posted <laughs> yeah. a two-round mock, and uh, I guess I'll update that. I don't know. I really don't feel like it, but I guess I should do that. <laughs> so in any case, I'll I'll get to it, whatever. Um, so so th- that was that was pretty irritating, and uh, I think Washington will fall to them in this in in the second if they have a second-round pick. But Doesn't look like they do at least at okay. this time. Well, I, th- I think Washington's at risk of falling into the third, so I think he'll be one of the first picks in the third if he does. But yeah, I'd give them like a, a you know oddly enough like a, a guy with not not quite the same build as Cooks, but like s- similar in the sense that he's he's on the shorter side of like an outside receiver, but he still has wide receiver one or outside receiver type of skill set. Yeah, he would. Uh, he's he's just a pretty good player, so he'd be he'd be good to have. He would be perfect. I don't think he's going to fall to them, but who would have been perfect was Chark because it's like, I, th- I think he deserves targets. Like, I think he's a good player who can be productive in the NFL, but if you're not going to throw to your fly route receiver on the outside, at least Chark is like terrifying in that task. And, uh, he has the four, three, four speed to take the top off the defense. If they do get, uh, you know, antsy about the underneath routes. Um, but yeah, th- I think, I think the way McVeigh sees the game, he'll probably just kind of take a me- like a balanced approach, like not really commit to any one kind of thing at this point until he sees what personality has to work with. And maybe, maybe it's someone like Washington who's not necessarily a burner, but you know, good at certain things that McVeigh can find uses for, and he'll make it all work. Um, I don't think they need one particular kind of player, but ideally they would have someone who's at least fast to kind of push the safeties back. Yeah. I, yeah, I totally agree on that sense. Um, and then let's take a look at for a second at the fallout from new England. So looking at new England's depth chart, uh, obviously Danny Amendola going to Miami this off season. Now cooks is gone. Uh, Gronk expected back. Um, so a lot of people have, have started getting a little bit ravenous already about Chris Hogan. Yeah, um, it's just like I got a little crazy. I got a little bit crazy about him last year, too, and it, it didn't quite pan out the way that I was hoping. And obviously injuries p- played uh, a factor in that. And, you know, I don't want to say that just because he was he burned me last year that he can't be good this year. And, you know, the logic suggests that, you know, he would be the top outside receiver for the Patriots this year with Cooks gone. But do you think that there's a chance that maybe this this Patriots offense shifts back a little bit to, uh, you know, something that we've seen more in in the past where it's more heavy on Edelman and Gronk. Yeah, it'll have to be. And I think last year showed that Edelman was definitely the number one receiver to Brady. And I, I don't know if that's because it's Edelman specifically, or if it's more by design that it's the slot receiver in that offense. If it were the latter, I don't know why they didn't just move cooks into the slot more often last year. I think they would have gotten, good results Amendola is not any good in my opinion but in any case they are a bit thin at receiver now they have bodies that they have they have certain skills and certain uh you know upside guys but not much that's tangible and it's Edelman in the slot he's going to get a lot of work I think he's going to be great but even if he's totally back from the ACL he'll probably be totally fine but 
he also has an injury history aside from that. Oh yeah. Excuse me. So, uh, Hogan was a guy that he stepped into what was supposed to be his best case scenario last year. And we were like, even at the helium point, we were like, he's probably going to give you like 850 yards and 10 touchdowns, something like that, which at the time, you know, you're talking about one of the last few picks in your draft. That's an easy decision to make. If the presumed, you know, role for him this year and whatever the media hype has for him pushes him up more in like the, uh, you know, wide receiver two kind of price. I have no interest in that because I think it is basically like a coin flips chance that Kenny Britt's ahead of him anyway this year, because that would be a Kenny Britt thing to do. It would be a Patriots thing to do. And, uh, Britt does have a history of doing things like this where he like disappears for two years and then has like a thousand yards in 12 games. Was he great for the Rams two years? Like golf's rookie yeah. year? He was the only player who has ever succeeded under Jeff Fisher in Incredible. history. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. And, he so he did that for some reason with Jeff Fisher he would be great but yeah Britt has a year like that in 2016 nine yards a target in a year where Jeff Fisher almost successfully killed off all of Goff Jared Goff looked I mean coming at this time last year everyone was like boy that looks like a bust already yeah it was like this terrible this guy looks like a CFL backup and Kenny Britt was doing nine yards a target uh with Foles also failing there I think uh, but yeah, then the, a couple years before that, um, and more than a couple, like five years before that in Tennessee, he had, you know, 800 yards and nine touchdowns in 12 games. He's always been big and very athletic. His focus has never been there, but it's easy to imagine, you know, Belichick being the uh, contemptible wizard he is might find some way to get Kenny Britt to play like he could have been playing all this time. Yeah. And, and so with that, like, you know, I find Hogan to be a totally fine player and all that, but I just don't think that like he needs to be like, you know, vaulted into this, you know, really uh, like top 30, top 40 type of area yeah. just because he's he's could be uh, Brady, Brady's number one outside receiver. I just don't really see where uh, you're going to end up profiting off of off of that and approaching him quite there. Yeah, we'll see what his price ends up settling in at. I have I was doing my best ball drafts before any of this, so I have no idea what it's looking at in that post uh, Cooks trade. But I assume he will go quite high and probably probably a little higher than I'd be interested in. I will be buying more Brit though. All right, so uh, before we jump into uh, a discussion on your two-round mock, we're going to take a quick second to hear a word from our sponsors. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. If you're looking for a credit card that fits your lifestyle, look no further. U.S. Bank has credit cards that make every day rewarding, no matter what you're into. Feeling hungry? Check out the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining. And get two times points at gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. That'll keep your wallet and your mouth full. Big spender? The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card has a low intro APR for large purchases or balance transfers. And you call the shots with the U.S. Bank Cash Plus Visa Signature Card. Choose two categories each quarter. Earn 5% back on your first $2,000 of eligible purchases from those categories. So don't just get a credit card. Get the right card to make every day more rewarding. Cash back, merchandise, travel rewards, and low intro APRs are waiting. Learn more at usbank.com credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc., and the cards are available to United States residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. 
All right, Mario. So Tuesday afternoon, you posted a full two round mock. Uh, pretty interesting stuff all the way throughout. It's up on rotowire.com and it's free, no paywall, all that good stuff. So you can read all of the content in there. Uh, no paywall again. Uh, so what was kind of like the toughest uh, part of putting this puzzle together for you as far as like the top 10 picks went? Well, I think we're, we've kind of gotten to the point where we've singled out which players are going to go in the top 10, more or less. We just don't really know the order. Right. And uh, especially with the top seven or so, top eight even perhaps, I guess you could say from nine onward, it gets a little more blurry. But for that top eight, I, w- I do have to mention I do not include Josh Allen in the consensus top eight, but most people consider him consensus top five. I still... I c- it's, I'm conceding that, he's, that the NFL is gonna do it i just i i don't like him that there but i just I you know what this is there i'm sorry I i'm c- part I of the problem i could be totally full of it but i i'm i think a unique uh, voice of reason on this subject because not many people have such broken brains as i do from being in the like draft community for a, a 10 how many years? more than 10 years i don't know um like I, I remember the all these stupid stories that people don't remember anymore, and now they see them. Uh, like the, the 2018 version of these things are popping up, and people are falling for the same thing again. I, I think, and uh, I can see Allen. Like I think Allen will be a first round pick, but I still think he's more of a Kyle Bowler, JP Lawsman, and I think the other source of helium for his draft stock is the fact that Carson Wentz is in the NFL and succeeding, and was under coach Craig Bowl mm-hmm. and I think a lot of these scouts who maybe maybe they're like these people who were who were kind of high on Wentz maybe they wish they had been a little more aggressive about uh you know their faith in him yeah uh maybe they just regret not being right about him and underestimating him so now they're just overcorrecting with this guy with a rocket arm but like it is terrible completion percentage for his entire college career right so there is a fair amount of you know similar traits with with Wentz and Allen in that they're like the same frame uh they're from a similar region of the country and I do think that is part of this they got the grit yeah they're they're like from uh they're from what Wyoming and uh, North Dakota so they 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 know misery they they're used to it and I don't know if there's like that builds character being in some place without electricity kind of thing <laughs> not having indoor plumbing. Yeah, so they these 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 blessed yokels and their their <laughs> powerful throwing arms are the hottest thing in the NFL now and Amazing. I get it, they're I guess. Millennials. They're not millennials like Josh Rosen. Is. <laughs> they're st- they're too uh yeah, they're too trapped in past eras to technically qualify as a millennial. To it's even like, ask why. It's 1988 where they're uh, from still. So I don't, I don't know if that's part of it, but they basically look at this six foot five, two 230-pound athletic person with a very strong arm, and they go, those are the two same players. And Carson Wentz didn't have, like, sterling numbers at North, North Dakota State, and he, was, uh, he would have gotten hit for age adjustment to that because he was overage at the time, too. But he was productive. He was very productive at North Dakota State, and there's no comparison between their two numbers. I don't think that when you adjust for level of competition that that yields any insights either because we're talking like twice as good literally. Mm -hmm. So I think Allen's really bad, and I remember not just the J.P. Lawsmans and the Kyle Bowlers who were guys who went in the 20s. I also remember Ryan Nassib, who was like at the time of his draft – 
everybody in the media was saying like, he's going to go in the top 10. Doug Marone's going to take him at the seventh pick. You don't, you think he's not going to go that high because you just don't understand how reporting works. You don't have sources like we do. And at the time I, I was like, yeah, you're right. I guess he's going to go to number seven. I don't think he's worth it, but you guys are right, probably. <laughs> and then he ends up falling to the fourth round. Josh Allen is not going to fall to the fourth round, but I do think that he won't go in the top five. I think he'll go kind of like where you would project a Kyle Bowler or a J.P. Losman who had some stupid uh, you know, regional narrative helium pushing him from 20 to 12, perhaps, where the mm-hmm. Bills are. The Bills are doing a lot of dumb things. I think they make a lot of sense for Josh Allen in that sense. Uh, so there's that. But th- the other thing, I think there's a tell here that Allen's stock, as it's portrayed to media members by NFL insiders, is deliberately inflated because too many of them are saying he'll go ahead of not just Josh Rosen, but Sam Darnold, too. And when you say that, that makes me think you're trying too hard. Yes. And if you're trying too hard, why? Wh- what are you covering for? I think it's going to be one Darnold to Rosen. If it's not the Giants, then I guess the stupid Patriots might do it. I don't know. Oh, but no. Yeah, then if it's... <laughs> oh. I think Rosen's going second, and I think Baker Mayfield's going third. Okay. So I, I, I guess Josh Allen could go five, but in this I projected Quentin Nelson because the Denver offensive line is not very good. I think... I think we we can't even rule out Nelson moving to tackle in the NFL because he's so monstrously good at right. guard, and it's not that he lacks athleticism or even or, much or reach. Size, yeah, like he, you know, it it was the fact that he played left guard last year had more to do with the fact that Notre Dame had Mike McGlinchey playing left tackle already. When you know he's a guy that's six foot eight, you know, so yeah. I mean he's he's just bigger than Nelson. It made more sense to just like have a have a super powerful left side of the line of your Notre Dame uh than to like up Nelson's draft stock by flipping him out to right tackle for whatever reason. But no, he if if Denver wanted to, uh him and Garrett Bowles would I imagine make pretty good bookends at tackle. So yeah, that was one I, I think five Nelson makes sense there. And if not Nelson, I think Barkley is going to be there, Saquon Barkley. So he could he could be an option there. Who knows? Uh, I guess I should mention at four, I was giving the Browns Derwin James. And oh, I, I, I think he's going to go in that top five somehow. He's be- the best defensive player in this draft. Yeah, it's everything about him screams elite talent. And I can't say that about some of these other guys who are getting projected in the top 10. Like as much as I think Bradley Chubb will be a really good player, there's no contest between him and James to me. Like the, Chubb is is like nowhere near in the stratosphere of like a Miles Garrett or anything like there. There's a lot of work to be done when it comes to Bradley Chubb and refining his pass rushing moves and stuff. So like the idea, I think the general consensus has moved away from him being a top three type of guy. Yeah. Um, especially with Indianapolis having moved back. Uh, but you have them getting him at six, which I think is a totally reasonable outcome and a, and a totally reasonable move for Indianapolis to go get him. But again, I, I'm just kind of putting it out there that I, I'm a bit of a Chubb doubter. Bradley yeah. I, I'm trying to think of a good, I think he's more of like a cam Jordan than like a miles Garrett. Okay. And like, that's still, a, that's, that's yeah, still like that's a borderline great. elite player, but mm-hmm. it's, it's I mean in Jordan's case it took a couple years for him to get there whereas Miles Garrett the first time he stepped on the field was you know probably a top five defensive end in the league like he's that good Uh, with Chubb I think he's going to be really good at being like a strong side type end right away I don't know if he's going to get to double digit sacks until like his third or fourth year because he's always been more of like a tackle for loss guy than a sack guy so Mm. Uh, he's he's a really really good prospect and i think he's definitely going to be good uh i don't see so much elite upside with him and i I do with derwin no questions asked and uh 
yeah, so I, I think Chubb falling to six makes some sense, and Indianapolis would be a great spot for him because they are switching to a four or three. I don't think he can play three, four outside linebacker. I don't either. Um, not that not that these days that the base formations play like they did, you know, 10, 20 years ago. He's going to be in nickel formation at least 60% of the time anyway. So some three, four team could still justify it. He might even be like a three, four interior guy down the road. He has the frame to get up to like 290 pretty easily be maybe like a justin smith kind of player interesting um but yeah i I see him not as like a dominant edge breaker kind of guy he's more of like a strong side anchor who can disrupt in traffic if somebody runs at him okay i think that i think that's a pretty fair assessment and yeah like i said um his pass rushing itself isn't isn't the greatest but um yeah he he is a pretty disruptive force and athletically he tested out well so i mean there, there's no reason to think that he couldn't be just like a a bit of a backfield uh nightmare for opposing offenses to an extent um let's get into so first running back off the board first first running back uh anyone has is saquon but you have him going seven to tampa bay and i, I think that that uh kind of lines up with where things are kind of headed the way that the quarterback helium has really settled up in the top five where it seems like there's going to be like three or four at least uh quarterbacks going top five i think it pushes down barkley especially with the likelihood of the giants spending number two on a quarterback barkley falling down to here makes plenty of sense here and i think if you're tampa bay you are like you are sprinting to goodell to give them your draft card yeah, Barkley would be a pretty easy plug and play in any offense, really. But with the Buccaneers, they just don't really have much talent at running back. Like Peyton Barber is going to be a fine enough player for them, but he's he's not a guy you want starting. And Barkley, I mean, he he's he's hyped the way he is for a reason. Like he's going to be an instant candidate to put up thirteen hundred yards on the ground and then another seven to eight hundred through the air and it's going to be hard to not do it because it's like imagine an offense where he still isn't heavily used and in position to produce it's like if you have a good quarterback you're moving the ball you're getting in scoring range he's having a lot to do with it if you have a bad quarterback they're probably going to check down a lot of passes and that might even inflate his target volume to even more so he's going really high in best ball drafts like first round pretty consistently like top eight pretty consistently if he lands in Tampa Bay, I think he pays off in that scenario because I'm just so unconcerned with, you know, competition for touches. Like if it was in Cleveland, uh, that's disgusting. Like I, I I know that it makes some kind of sense for Cleveland to add him, but why would they sign Carlos Hyde if they're going to add him when they already have Duke Johnson? So they could, it's, they could still take Barkley. I mean, you don't, Hyde's an okay player he's not great you don't let him dictate your approach in the draft but it's just an unnecessary expenditure if so yeah I, yeah I'm totally with you there as far as like you know they don't need to spend one of their top four picks uh on a on a running back it just it just wouldn't really make a ton of sense I will say I think Barkley could fall even further because it's like why would you take Barkley at seven if you can get Geis or at 25 or like Chubb at like 45 or something like that and uh so what where do you think like his absolute floor is uh would it be like I don't Miami think he, at 11 I don't think he would get past San Francisco actually because okay. that would that would just put the Garoppolo show into just like instant you know nitro oh, stage no. so <laughs> yeah I don't think no one wants to use a running back pick in the top 10 but it's like when you're when you're in that position where it's you see the plug 
the plug-in fit and you can you can plausibly project just your offense going to another level like you would with San Francisco it's yeah. like I, I think it'd be hard to pass on him there but either way like when he goes off the board I think you're going to see Roquan Smith go in the same range I uh, had him go to the Bears he's, he's going to be great I think and then this is a really good corner class I don't know what order they're going to go in but I think we see a spree of corners not necessarily in a row but a lot in a few picks and it's guys like Jair Alexander Denzel Ward um I don't know what to make of Minka Fitzpatrick I get weird vibes from those uh those grabby Alabama corners and yeah, especially been, when you're talking like safety tweener mm-hmm. reminds me of Drake Kirkpatrick who's been yeah. like okay but that's all and uh well he's he won't be who's the who's the one that went to the Jets uh D Milliner yeah he won't be like that or anything but uh yeah there's some there's some concerns about Fitzpatrick where it's like he only played a handful of outside corner snaps last year. So, I mean, like, you know, he's a nickel corner. And, yes, like a nickel corner shouldn't be uh, devalued because mo- most of the time uh, defenses tend to be in in at least a nickel, if not more pass uh, protective type of uh, defense, uh, defensive setup. Um, but at the same time, like, there's there's just some, some things where it's like Fitzpatrick had this sort of uh, like like urban legend type of label to him being like the best player on the Alabama defense you know coming up through this year and then it's like well he doesn't blow up the combine the way that uh you know he should have the way that it was kind of advertised that he would so uh kind of being a a size tweener with like not as good of athleticism as people were kind of hyping him up to be I think it it dictates a slide at least and you have him outside the top 10 I had him going outside the top 10 as well I also projected him to a team that I think is really bad at everything the Dolphins and that actually was part of the reason why I put him there uh just as why I put Allen with the Bills at 12 Josh Mm -hmm. Allen because um it's like, hey, if you're the kind of team that kind of regime, I should say, that takes over a team and you look at it and you're like, got to get rid of this Watkins, this Darius, get in a Kelvin Benjamin, give me an EJ Gaines, uh, bring in Jordan Matthews, get me a Mike Tolbert, please. And <laughs> like that team is the one that goes, we got to get the next Carson Wentz. And they picked up Josh Allen instead. And it, it makes sense. I think that all that all adds up to me. The top five stuff doesn't this does buffalo adds up for josh allen totally it, it really does yeah if, if they stand pat with where their draft picks are right now then i think that in the way that the quarterbacks should shake out from from there as currently constructed then I, I think he doesn't fall any further than 12 i think the the bills would also be like running to the podium to get that pick in um there's a bit of a projected slide as far as your wide receivers go and i, yeah. I, I think that that's a pretty smart hedge honestly um because I mean, really, none of these guys scream first round. And I know that sometimes it doesn't matter. Like, teams will just be like, okay, we still have to take a receiver in the first round for whatever reason. He's the best receiver on the board, so we got to go get him. But you have uh, as your first uh, receiver, is it Cortland Sutton at 36? And and that's round two. Yeah. And what, let's see, was it the 2006 draft or the 2000? It was the 2007 or 2008 would be the Malcolm Kelly one. Okay, I'm trying to pull up uh, 2000. So yeah, that would be 2008 then. Uh, yeah, this reminds me a little bit of the 2008 draft then with uh, Devin Thomas, Malcolm Kelly, and uh, two guys who, in Thomas's case, I still don't know how he was so bad because, I mean, he was he was super fast, uh, productive at Michigan State, big receiver. But in any case, 
what happened that year was we had we spent all off season looking at the receivers like which one's going to be the top 15 pick you always have to have a top 15 pick receiver and we were doing that same thing all uh leading up to this spring with uh, this class when people are like uh, is it Ridley is it Washington who's going to go in the top 15 there always has to be one and I think we're seeing there probably won't be yeah and it's not because these guys are bad like I think this class is going to be much better than the 2008 one which was just Donnie Avery was the first receiver that got picked and nothing else went much better either uh, this one I think Sutton's going to be totally good I think he's going to be like a high grade wide receiver to you know outside guy uh, I think Ridley's going to be totally good slot receiver along with Christian Kirk. James Washington, I am a little concerned about taking a Leonte Carew trajectory, but like there's there's a lot of skills with these guys. The problem is they don't have much standout traits and it's a deep draft at the position. Yes. And so what I think you'll see is just a run on corners uh at the expense of the receivers. Right, because you know, it's a little bit like what you said about the running backs where it's like why would I take player x here if i can go and get guys you know down here at 25 or i can go get nick chubb in the 40s like that same similar logic applies here when it comes to these receivers where it's like i don't need to go get calvin ridley at 21 when i can get dj Moore, you know a little bit later right you can get, and if you're looking for a slot receiver there's a bunch of guys who you have reason to think will get the job done even someone like maybe a trey quinn in like the fourth round can probably do enough for you there so it's like the best receivers in this class are largely slot guys it's a devalued position um it's a strong corner class more specifically yes so when you have like when you have the other like the parallel market that looks the way it does for the corners it's it makes sense for just the lesser group to get uh, marginalized categorically yeah i think that 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 definitely makes sense i mean and uh just going back to your to your corner rankings um so you you have and I didn't feel strongly about okay. any of this and I didn't even mean to rank them because I probably wouldn't have Fitzpatrick at three but I really like Jair Alexander Denzel Ward's interesting too um, I I put Jair ahead of him just because he had like flawless combine whereas Ward could have done a little better with like agility drill stuff but he's the one who had the four three two so he's faster and probably has more like prospect pedigree as a recruit yes than jr alexander um but there, there's a bunch of other ones like there's a lot of second round kind of guys there's uh the other fast one dante jackson from lsu there's the guy like perry nickerson from tulane who ran a 432 and he's not even really getting much attention so i think you're going to see a lot in the second round too in addition to the first where you could have like i don't know five or something going yeah this is a ridiculously strong draft as far as the secondary goes and you also have uh, yeah safety too is yeah pretty it's good. like the top 40 picks or so you have some uh safeties in there as well i mean notably uh guys like uh, let's see here like jesse bates uh early second round out of wake forest is someone that, that you're in on i think uh, justin reed is someone that's picked up a fair I bit i think of, they're of both momentum. gonna get more hype because like uh reed really see or bates really seems like another eric weddle type where it's mm-hmm. like he's a corner but he plays he has like the safety skill set and then it's kind of a similar thing with uh with uh with justin reed who had just an incredible combine and when you have an incredible combine and you're a standout player on one of the better defenses in college football it's just what it, there's not much to think about <laughs> exactly exactly um and then mike hughes is another guy from from uh central florida he's a corner yeah uh, that also uh made the cut uh for your mock are there any other uh picks that you that you, uh you feel pretty strongly so, about so as, as far as like fantasy guys where i'm projecting general range for is uh darius guys 24 to carolina i think that actually makes a lot of sense as a projection 
rejection because their new, their new old new GM Marty Herney just loves to collect running backs and weak side linebackers. Um, he he may he maybe will have to draft Shaq Thompson's replacement in the second round, even though Shaq Thompson probably will be on the team another four years. It's that kind of uh, it's that kind of area you're going into, Panthers fans. But Geis is really good. <laughs> I think he'll go in that mid twenties range, early second. Really good player, and and I don't think Christian McCaffrey can compete with him for carries. It's just totally different animal with Geis, in my yep. opinion. Uh, I had Mike Kosicki going twenty seven to New Orleans, which would make a lot of sense because they're looking they were looking at Jimmy Graham this off season. I think Kosicki has a lot of Jimmy Graham like traits. Yeah, I like tight end there a lot. Um, I said Mark Andrews, I think in mine, but I think Kosicki makes ton of ton of sense too. And he just looks so much like Graham. It's like they could probably have him do the exact. It's like he his floor is is Fleener is ceiling is Graham which is it would make New Orleans an interesting fit for those yeah, uh, anecdotal a, that, reasons that's a team that's that's totally in take take the best player available type of position they don't they don't yeah. have much in the way of roster holes certainly and uh, I had Ronald Jones the running back from USC going third among running backs I gave him to the Giants at 34 but I don't feel strongly about that I think he could go as soon as like maybe even Pittsburgh like I know, obviously they have Lavian Bell, and he's going to get all the work he can handle. But Jones is the kind of guy who is so explosive that he could meaningfully change the outcome of games for you, even if you only give him like a hundred carries and yeah, you know, it's not like James catches. Connor, where like you know if you put him in, like you're kind of conceding that drive almost. But like Jones, like you, you bring him in after you've been wearing a defense out with Bell and Brown. Uh, and Bell could you. have his volume decreased a little bit. He hasn't been staying that healthy the past and few years. Dear Lord, I mean, they've been loading him up with touch. I mean, it's almost like cruel, it's like inhumane. 400 touches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's inhumane. Yeah, so adding Jones would be interesting because he like that that would be a disheartening thing to deal with as a defense. Like you're dealing with Bell, and then this you know way too fast guy comes on the field, and you're already tired of all this. So I think he would make sense. I think he's going in that range. Um, where was the other? I had Chubb going to 43 to New England, but um, who knows? I, I just think he's going to go like mid-second somewhere, mm-hmm. and I think he's going to be a steal. I think he – as much as I like Geis and Barkley, even at their projected current prices, it's like Chubb at his projected price to me is just no contest. I'd much rather go with him because I'm not even convinced he's going to be worse than those two. It's, they're all three really, really good is yes. the point. Yeah, and and yet he's you're seeing him go you know a fair bit. Uh, <laughs> I see later. these people thinking he's like Jonathan Stewart or something. Like he's going to go in the third. Like Stewart was a really high first round pick, but they're talking about him like he will be late career Jonathan Stewart or something. Like, you don't understand. Like he's going to be one of the best running backs in the league. Yeah, some people have some pretty hilarious takes out there on on, uh, on Nick. Chubb. Maybe get Nick Chubb to be our uh, goal line specialist. Like, no, he's going to be your starter. Whoever you think is going to start is not. No. Like if he goes to your team, he's starting for you. Yeah, I mean, b- bottom line, he's he's a ridiculous talent. I, I don't think that uh, anyone that that's on the on the side of saying that he's going to be a bust or uh, this plotting guy, I don't think that those takes are going to age uh, particularly well. But yeah, the other running backs I projected it was uh, Sony Michelle, just a few picks after Chubb going to Detroit. Detroit could use a, a more proper running back. Yep. Uh, Legarrette Blunt is insurance, I think, but not the ideal. Um, gave Rashad Penny to the 49ers at fifty nine, and. I like that. Uh, yeah, I like that a lot, too. I think that would be great pairing with Jarek McKinnon, and I definitely want to get shares of that 49ers offense. So for, I'd like- for the Breda people in the back, uh, I don't think that the coaching staff like really is married to Matt Breda. Like, I, I don't think that like they feel beholden to give him a ton of work at especially he's, he's, at a point where okay. it's like Rashad that's it where Rashad Penny in the second round like that makes more sense 
yeah, he's a rookie of the year candidate if they get him there. And it, I mean, any running back they take in the first two rounds is a rookie of the year candidate. But yeah, it, it's it's not a contest. Braid is a kind of guy that you like having around because he can maybe return some kicks, do s- some things of the explosive, you know, specialty tasks. But he's supposed to be more of like the Corey Grant of your offense. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, like, I don't know what you would run do. a fake punt. Yeah, do something like that and get put him on the field when your top two guys get hurt. But uh, yeah, it, it, I'm not convinced that Jeremy McNichols isn't ahead of Breida by the time next year starts. There you go. Still, yeah, I still I still carry the torch for for McNichols as well. I will always say the truth, and <laughs> Jeremy McNichols is is good. You guys. All right, so I guess that that'll wrap it up as far as our uh, mock draft uh, discussion. Is there any yeah, that's you want to touch on. Yeah, if you if you're curious, you can you know read the stupid thing, I guess. <laughs> um, and then I guess did you want to do a little bit of uh, some quick college football talk too? Yeah, I mean, I guess w- people should know about this since we're uh, you're upping our college football coverage for the spring by quite a bit, going into these conference uh, positional breakdowns, and you've got the quarterbacks uh, in in full force already. So. Um, yeah, I'm I'm looking at Chris's article, which is the only one I care about. Chris Benzine, of course. And I, I know you probably wrote some too, but uh, yeah, what what was the one that you wrote? Um, I have done thus far SEC and ACC. Those are both on the up on the website. Pac-12 is coming up uh, before the end of the week, hopefully by by the end of today. Cool. Uh, but uh, Big Twelve and Big Ten. Uh, both also up there as far as their quarterback it's a spring practice outlook um, basically giving you uh, the incumbent if there is one uh, the challengers and then just sort of the a general quick uh, look into how we see things shaking out uh, during spring and then into the summer nice and uh, speaking of zine i am looking at his big 12 uh, article and Oklahoma's losing Baker Mayfield, but they get uh, Kyler Murray. And is this Austin Kendall a real person? I know who Kyler Murray is. Yeah, he's, I mean, Kendall's a, a you know, he was a pretty highly regarded uh, guy. But I mean, Murray, uh, you know, if if his history uh, it has any uh, bearing here, uh, then he's a guy that was promised to be the next guy after Baker Mayfield. Yeah, and, uh, he's, he's going to be. He can be like BCS Greg Ward, right? Yeah, I I think he's uh I mean he's a talented guy. He's a guy that um you know from his days in, in high school is like one of the most if not the most legendary high school Texas quarterback. He's supposed to be like time. one of their fastest players, right? Yes, he absolutely has that kind of speed, game-breaking speed. They would bring him in on packages occasionally last year just to like appease him and maybe give uh Baker Mayfield a break when they were up by like 40, 50 points on on, you know, some sad sack teams like Kansas or Baylor. Um but yeah, Murray, he also has a really good arm. He's a little bit small, but I mean, I guess that's not really an issue. But they they got so much out of Baker Mayfield. Um, so he's he's a really interesting guy. I'd be shocked if it's not him uh, to start the year. Um, I don't know what Texas is going to do. I think t- Tom Herman, like he, that team has the talent to take a sort of Kirby Smart in year two esque leap, uh, where um, I don't think that the Big Twelve necessarily has a big bully right now. And I think Texas, as far as its recruiting, especially these past two years under Herman, um, it's a team that should kind of walk over the rest of these teams, except for. Except for Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, I do expect to take a step back. Mm-hmm. But Herman's going to need to make a decision between Shane Bouchel or Sam Ellinger. Um, Bouchel was not a guy that Herman recruited, but Ellinger is. Uh, Ellinger probably a little bit more of a dual threat type of guy that can run that that power spread that, that Texas has going on. Um, so I think 
I think it's going to end up being Ellinger. And I think that Bouchel, you know, for as, you know, good of a, you know, soldier for Texas as he's been the, the last two Gotta years, I think he's, I think he's going to end up transferring. Yeah. If that, if he is a backup, he has to get out. Cause I mean, he's, he's probably not like a going to project as like a high prospect or anything, no. but he's too good of a prospect to be a backup. Yeah. You can't, don't do that. So, I mean, it, you know, it'd be interesting to see if, uh, if Texas puts any restrictions on him as far as transferring, because if I was Bouchel, I would absolutely stay in the Big 12 and come and haunt his <laughs> nightmares. Yeah, go to Texas Tech or something yes, like that. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but then another one that, that I think is probably the most interesting in the whole country is at Clemson. Um, because okay. cause Kelly Bryant's, you know, he led them to the to the college football playoff last year. But in doing so, he also showed his warts a little bit. Like, you know, when, not that anyone... If Jalen really, Hurts can get benched. <laughs> yes, exactly. So if Kelly Bryant, you know, I, I can't blame him for not playing well against Alabama but at the same time Hunter Johnson um was uh he he might have been ranked in in some services higher than Jake Fromm was last year in that same recruiting class so he's an absolute stud that I think doesn't get mentioned enough and then coming in is this guy Trevor Lawrence with the uh sunshine hair we all know Trevor Lawrence yeah everyone knows Trevor Lawrence stunt double (laughs) yeah so he's actually ridiculously good too he's already on campus so all three of those guys are going through spring practice my hedge right now is Hunter Johnson, but I still need to see kind of how the those spring practices uh, have progressed. But I, I would be shocked if Bryant, even if Bryant does win the week one starting role, he's not going to be starting for them by by mid to late September. And so if that's the case, do you think they might just make the, you know, pull the bandaid off week one instead? Uh, as far as Trevor Lawrence goes, yeah, just because they're they're going to want to win in the championship, right? Right. I just think I think Hunter Johnson gives them the best chance right now. I mean, he looked better um, than like Zarek Cooper did last year when Kelly Bryant went down. Uh, he looked like he was already like ready to go uh, and be their starter. I think that, I bet he's the best quarterback on their roster right now. So I think he gives them the best chance to win. Yeah, that makes sense. I I just yeah, you I don't know how realistic it is for a team to make like the quarterback switch midseason and then go to the kind of heights that they aspire to or if it's like they need to kind of like start them week one take the lumps early and hope that the improvement happens by the time the schedule actually matters yeah it's it'll be you know it's gonna be tricky um for for d for uh politically complicated for Dabo you know? to to uh, yeah Dabo navigate. gets his own like uh, Kevin Sumlin scenario here <laughs> yeah he no really pressure does. buddy yeah so we'll see how that works out because I mean that's something that's been pretty you can blame millennials before. if it goes wrong <laughs> totally it'll work yeah um and then i mean at at georgia there's like a semi-similar thing where some people think justin fields should be the guy but i i don't see how this isn't jake Fromm's team yeah yeah i think that's crazy um i think as far as alabama goes if you think that jalen hurts is starting for them week one then i have a bridge to sell you i think Tua is obviously the guy i think um at least early heisman odds i would put a fair bit of money on Tua winning it really honestly. yeah I, not a uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas he's I mean he's a he's a great bet too but he's all, he's also like the favorite right now and mm. I, usually I don't like going you don't with the like favorites. to put up like a thousand dollars for an eleven hundred dollar win no usually usually just I try to hurt, avoid just that until he gets hurt anyway yeah <laughs> um so yeah that'll, that'll be interesting I didn't realize how complicated it got for uh, Georgia and Clemson these off seasons yeah but these, especially these, Clemson yeah these uh you know high profile early enrollee quarterbacks just really really 
as good as they are and as exciting as they are, they, they cause a headache for the current. How much are these kids getting in the way of money bags for them to, uh, look at that, you know, those, those depth charts. And instead of going someplace where it's like really easy to start, they're just going to, uh, transfer two years later. I don't really get it. It's, uh, it's not, yeah, because I mean, you're, you're looking at if you're Dustin Fields, you're going to be sitting for two years minimum yeah. uh, behind. And it can from. go very wrong for everybody. Like that Kevin Sumlin case should have been where like everyone is like, oh, okay, this is a useful lesson. Yeah, every coach said they to, just go right back needs in to take a class on that because yeah. I mean, it went. Don't from, sign three number one quarterback recruits in a row. They will expect to play. Kyle Allen, uh, just you know, hit him. Kyler Murray after Kenny Hill and then Kyler Murray that and then you know all of a sudden they're all gone and then also. Uh, they, they had this guy Tate Martell, who's at Ohio State now. That was like sort of like their future. He's like their next Manzel. He sees how everything go, gets shaken down at A and M, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm not not going to play there." Yeah, what could go wrong, Dabo? <laughs> so we'll see. And then uh, at Ohio State, obviously they have to replace one of the best quarterbacks in program history. I think it's going to be Dwayne Haskins. I don't think there's really much question about that tate martell i guess like has some intrigue but dwayne haskins looked like the man last year when he was allowed to play occasionally and you know he looked really good against michigan even uh in a hostile environment so i think that he ends up being the guy at ohio state and then if you want to look at the other side of that rivalry um as long as shea patterson gets the go-ahead from the ncaa which i'm i'm leaning towards that he will uh then he's gonna start for michigan and michigan's gonna be really effing good Oof! Yeah, I forgot that he was there. Yeah, it's it, that's absolutely nuts. But I, I mean, like, it's so good that Harbaugh's getting some help. <laughs> finally, finally, Poor guy. I mean, yeah, McCaffrey's uh, brother, I guess, is going to have to wait another year. But I think he was going to have to wait an, another year anyway. So again, we'll just have to see what what ends up happening with the NCAA ruling. You can never put too much faith that the NCAA is going to do the right thing. But uh, I think the the depth and breadth of the when you put the, it that way it's just like oh wait a second oh. yeah that's why I'm, that's why i'm hedging a little bit there but uh, i still think the end of the day uh patterson ends up getting cleared to go all those almost guys i know van jefferson's at florida now i think he's going to get the go ahead um as well so think that they'll end up being okay read those Uh, articles also yeah read them i put them up there for free so everyone can read them uh they're a good time and they they give you kind of a good base outlook at at how things have have progressed through spring and they're going to be they're going to be helpful for you uh heading into fall camp so with that that's going to wrap things up for today's rotowire nfl podcast we're going to be back again next wednesday talking more draft stuff for mario puig i'm john mckechnie thanks for listening Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.